Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 198. Well, just ahead, we're digging deep into the spillover effect of the Silicon Valley bank failure, the stress on U.S. banks across the board, and some weird companies were talking about the effects. One of those companies, Trinet, helping hundreds of its clients try to make payroll or not. And a fascinating S&P 500 component that makes some really advanced laboratory equipment used by the pharmaceutical industry. Waters Corporation CDO, CEO Udit Batra joins us. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And as you're noticing, you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, and more. But if you hit the subscribe button, you'll make sure to catch every show. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down Podcast. We're going to look at the business stories. We don't just care about stocks that are on the move because there are some stories. Isaac Webster, our executive producer, some stories emanating from the collapse of Signature Bank, Silvergate, and Silicon Valley Bank is kind of the, the you know, we're calling it the Silicon Valley Bank problem, of course, because it's more identifiable than uh, Silvergate, perhaps, uh, uh, but uh, in, in Signature Bank. But the uh, the repercussions of those three banks failing, uh, what it's meant for individual companies. We're going to dig into that and hear from some of those companies, Isaac, because um, uh, it's still uh, uh, shaking the global financial system, as we saw also with the buyout of uh, Credit Suisse by UBS at a fire sale price. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Trinet. Do you know this company? I don't. Uh, Trinet uh, trades under TNET and shares have gained almost 12% since the start of 2023, but they're lower by 16% if you're looking at a 12-month chart. So what's up with Trinet? What do they do? Well, it's a company that claims to not be in the payroll and HR business. They refer to themselves as a PEO, a professional employer organization. Isn't it? Is Isn't that a real thing? Professional, professional employer? By or? definition. <laughs> a professional they, employer they organization? But they do oh, HR wow. stuff okay. for small and medium-sized businesses. Um, it's a pretty interesting company, actually, uh, uh, based here in, the, in Silicon Valley. Um, and uh, uh, they, you know, they, they help companies deal with HR stuff. They bought the Zenefits business uh, recently. Um, and uh, they also help companies make payroll, which... Lo and behold, was maybe the biggest concern, uh, at least certainly the biggest concern I was hearing when we heard about the problems at Silicon Valley Bank. Are they picking up the pieces then? They're one of the companies that are picking up the pieces of SVB's businesses? Well, it's not so much that they're, they're taking the business. They are having to deal with the impact of this thing. Gotcha, um, gotcha. They, Trina basically was in crisis all of a sudden. 
uh, because companies used them. They weren't banking with Silicon Valley uh, Bank necessarily in terms of their deposits, but their customers relied on Trinet to get money out of Silicon Valley Bank to deliver payroll and to deliver services and HR and other things to their oh, wow. the, the employees of their customers. Right. So they were in absolute panic mode. Mm -hmm. uh, they drew down $495 million in a revolving credit facility. First thing Friday morning on March 10th, when, uh, when the bank was shut down. Wow. Uh, they, uh, by dipping into that revolver, again, for about a half billion dollars, um, their balance sheet now at $700 million in corporate cash available for their customers, for them to deal with whatever they're going to have to deal with. And then they were desperately trying to move all their customers to different banks in order for them to make payroll. As you may recall, uh, Silicon Valley Bank shut down on March 10th. March 15th, the following Wednesday, was a payroll day for uh, dozens, hundreds of the uh, Trinet customers. So Trinet trying to make sure their customers could deal with their HR needs and their payroll that week. They migrated themselves to another banking partner on Friday, March 10th uh, for their customers. Deposits were received early that week. Many of their customers. Who, sorry, who was their new banking partner? They didn't say. Uh, they didn't say. Okay. They didn't say. It's probably some guy standing on a corner there in uh, in Hayward, California, where Trinet has some <laughs> offices. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it wasn't a check cashing place in the corner. But, right, uh, the, as it happens, the CFO of Trinet, uh, uh, Kelly Tuminelli, great name, was going to speak the next day at a conference, a Bank of America conference. So she spoke at this uh, B of A conference um, uh, just the day after going through all this. So she sounds shell-shocked, even reading what sounded like prepared remarks. This was the morning after most of the payrolls, most of the payrolls were met by Trinet customers. Here's Trinet CFO, Kelly Tuminelli. Providing transparency to our investors is important. The tech vertical right now represents approximately 28% of our clients and worksite employees employed by smaller tech customers with fewer than 20 employees represent approximately 6% of our total WSEs. We remain as committed as ever to being a leader in providing HCM solutions to the technology sector. The lifetime value of a technology customer is among the highest in our portfolio. We've seen a slowdown in tech hiring since last June. The events of last week could prolong that slowdown. Tech remains one of the most dynamic of industries with strong long-term growth prospects and we truly believe the next great company is being built right now with Trinet will be and Trinet will be there to support them. So again, the concern very quickly went from uh, making payroll for tech companies to what is the future of tech companies without Silicon Valley Bank and uh, hope that uh, the technology will save us springs eternal since the days of Thomas Edison or maybe the round wheel, the Gutenberg Press. Uh, shoelaces. I don't know. We always think technology is going to make things better. Trinet still continues to believe that, but it's going to be a little bit harder, at least in the short term, without Silicon Valley Bank. I'm impressed she didn't cancel her appearance. Well, I mean, I, I you, you know, you saw uh, hundreds of companies put out 8Ks uh, that Friday uh, after the failure of the bank. Um, and uh, companies have to address to investors what the impact is, lest the assumption be that the impact is bad. And you see that in a lot of regional banks where they can't really come out and say anything about what's happening with their depositors quite yet before they know. And the assumption is uh, by investors, baby bathwater, we're out. 
we're selling the stock. Let us know later how things are going. I think that's why you see these companies out there talking. Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, when you think about the elevated interest rate environment, you think about Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve, you think about problems in the banking system, the overnight funding of banks, you got to think Winnebago. <laughs> this is not your... No? Uh, no, not so much, but I'm interested to hear the story. Winnebago trades under WGO. Just wait, dear listener. Just wait, dear listener. You'll hear it. Winnebago trades under WGO and shares have risen 9% since the start of 2023 but they're lower by 8% over the past year. So roughly flat. Look, Winnebago customers borrow money to buy Winnebago's or Chris Craft boats, whatever. Winnebago dealers borrow money to finance uh, what's going on in their lots. And the fear of a recession and uh, may be hitting uh, the Winnebago business. Certainly the Winnebago business got a great boost during the, during the, uh, the pandemic when people were able to work from home or work from the Winnebago and hightailed it out of their towns to see the world, to see America at the very least, and did so in Winnebago. They had fantastic sales then. Sales have slowed down since then. And the dealers are looking at inventory and they're looking at financing that inventory. And maybe they weren't customers of Silicon Valley Bank, but maybe their banks, wherever they are, aren't going to be extending credit like they were at the same time that Winnebago is dealing with inventories of last year's models, trying to convince the dealers to hold this year's models without the financing for their customers, without the financing for their dealer inventories. Here's Winnebago's CEO, Michael Happ, talking about the issues with, that their dealers are, are facing, trying to right-size inventory in a different interest rate environment. I think dealers are, are trying to answer what the right inventory levels uh, are as well. And I think dealers are still, you know, primarily focused on, um, you know, having the right level of and mix of uh, inventory on their lots to, to optimize whatever retail is available to them. But I think your question also infers that the cost of carrying that inventory uh, is higher to them as well, which we certainly, certainly acknowledge. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing dealers be very serious and proactive here uh, with addressing their model year 22 inventory uh, as quickly as they can. Uh, but it, it, you know, it's a good thing if dealers return uh, or exceed historical turn levels. Uh, I think when we saw dealers go through uh, the 2020, uh, late 2020 to early 22 time period, uh, we saw dealers become ex extremely financially healthier uh, in terms of gross margins and uh, higher turn levels, lower working capital. And, and as an OEM, uh, we think that's a good thing. Uh, and so we would welcome higher turns uh, from the dealers. Obviously, there would be a transitional period where dealers, as we've uh, forecasted, would have to uh, uh, reduce their inventory levels overall in order to probably uh, get to that point. Uh, but we, we are supportive of, uh, of working through that transition uh, with dealers. We feel that our operations and production processes allow us to be a good OEM partner and supplier to the dealers, uh, even at higher turn levels. So, so I anticipate the answer to your question is yes. The challenge is, is we don't know the exact timing. So tightening from the Federal Reserve, rates going up still, although maybe not for much longer from what we heard uh, from the Fed this week. 
but uh, the suggestion is it could hurt Winnebago. Also, a problem for theirs, uh, they had a recall, uh, which also you know kind of hurt their working capital needs. And working capital isn't as easy to get even this week as it was uh, weeks in, in recent weeks. I, I don't know about you, but I uh, I wouldn't have thought about the ripple effects all the way to Winnebago um, if we hadn't talked about today. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, they very specifically, in other comments on their conference call for quarterly earnings, very specifically reference Silicon Valley Bank, even though they don't bank with them, and the concern that it uh, adds to their ecosystem, if you will. Corey, what's your next drill down? Affirm Holdings. You probably know this company, yes? I know Affirm well. Um, Affirm uh, trades under AFRM and shares have risen 7% since the start of 2023. But if you're looking at a 12-month chart, AFRM, Affirm Holdings, has dropped 77%. So... Yeah, rough year for the stock, rough year for the company. Yeah. Um, Affirm was was in a space that couldn't have been hotter a year ago, the buy now, pay later space, right? It's a loan company that lets people buy stuff principally online and then pay off those purchased and fixed monthly payments. And they had some high profile. Um, it's, almost, it's instant credit. Yeah, high profile partnerships. Right, and, and some of the questions about um, what's going on with uh, their banking relationships with Silicon Valley Bank, um, their relationships with other banks, um, and, uh, you know, where they've got cash, what exposure they've got to changing credit rates. Rob O'Hare, the uh, senior vice president of finance at the firm, um, talked about what they're doing to protect themselves against banks' failures and, and the financial implications of a change in what customers are spending, noting that they can finance anything from five grand to 25 grand, but uh, also talking about, you know, the changes going on in the world of, of finance and e-commerce and dealing with the risk of, of SVB, of Silicon Valley Bank, uh, speaking at a Bank of America Electronic Payments Symposium, yet another Bank of America conference <laughs> where executives are showing up uh, to show out that they don't have the problems that people might have assumed they have. Here is a firm SVP, Rob O'Hare. I think the Friday after the, the SVB news broke, just sort of making it clear to, to investors and interested folks that you know we don't have any exposure to SVB um, same is true with with uh, First Republic. I mean, we we tend to hold all of our cash um, at a very large money center bank, um, not one that that seems to be uh, in the fray um, in terms of the the liquidity issues that are that are going on. Um, we do though, you know, we do have a, a wholesale funded business, and so um, we work with a variety of of financing partners. Um, and we also have uh, originating banks that actually originate loans on behalf of a firm. And so, um, you know, we don't think that there's any liquidity issues for our originating bank partners. We intentionally have more than one bank partner um, such that, that that creates, you know, the ability to, to diversify and, and a risk management approach that we've had in place for several years now. And then on the funding side, um, you know, we have committed warehouse facilities from, you know, large money center banks. Um, those have, you know, expirations that are laddered out across several years. And we don't see any risk um, today with any of those facilities, um, either in terms of their, their sort of normal course operating, um, nor do we see any risk of, of being able to renew those facilities uh, down the road. But, you know, obviously we we try to cultivate strong relationships there and make sure that our partners understand um, the risk management approach that we take to underwriting our loans and making sure that we're putting, you know, good assets into those facilities 
um, to, to de-risk renewals. So yeah, uh, trying to keep their uh, their partners afloat, making sure that they continue to extend credit or the opportunity for a firm to extend credit to uh, consumers. Um, obviously a tougher business right now. Um, and and they are also, of course, very concerned about protecting uh, the cash that they've got by being in, in money center banks. And it's, look, Isaac, it's the thing that... Um, uh, I think is 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 not a uh, uh, not a great thing making the too big to fail banks even bigger because those quote unquote money center banks that you hear a firm talking about are those too big to fail institutions and um, you know we they, I think the the federal government's going to have to look at how they deal with this crisis is either going to strengthen the big too big to fail banks or strengthen community banks but it's probably going to be one or the other and they're going to have to figure out some way I think to diversify risk away from the too big to fail institutions. And that this crisis is not doing that. All right. Well, coming up, we've got an interesting conversation with a, with a, a tech company, a big, big tech company with fantastic profit margins. Um, it really in a biotech world, but maybe more uh, waters corporations an S and P 500 component. They make uh, fantastic, incredible machines that are, are both expensive, where they've got really rising revenues. They just did an interesting, interesting acquisition. Uh, revenues are growing. Profits are growing. The stock is falling. It's a really interesting company to look at right now. Waters Corporation CEO Udit Batra joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust is up clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more. Build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As promised, we are joined right now by the Waters Corporation CEO, Dr. Udit Batra joining us from Cambridge in a really cool looking space uh, to describe to our listeners. Um, it looks like you're surrounded by um, an open area and maybe beams and lots of bright light. And, and I don't know, it looks very uh, clinical, which you expect from Waters Corporation. <laughs> Thank you, Corey, for having us. Uh, I'm currently in our um, uh, Immerse Cambridge lab uh, in, right in the heart of Kendall Square. And uh, we use this lab to have collaborations with all the biotechs and pharma companies in this area. And what you see behind me are some of the many instruments uh, and systems that we sell uh, to analyze biopharmaceuticals, food, and and uh, and water. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I as I as I researched the company, I thought, well, how best to tell this story? There's so many ways. The the long history of the, of the company, the giant size of the company, uh, you know, uh, over thirty billion dollar market cap. Um, uh, but I think um, maybe we should just talk about some of the technologies from a from a, a thirty thousand foot level. You know, what is a mass spectrometer, for example? One of your biggest businesses. <laughs> maybe and maybe we take doing you know, really well. Yeah, maybe we take. Yeah, take you me a little science back. journey yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we take even a step back, uh, Corey. Look, if you've had a glass of water, if you had a cup of coffee, or any medicine this morning or, or during the day, uh, chances are you've uh, benefited from one of the several products you see behind me. We are one of the leading analytical instruments companies in the world that assures that the medicines you take, the food that you eat, the water that you drink is safe to consume. And mass spec is a technology that basically takes individual chemicals, obliterates them into, into their atoms and then helps us reconstruct on what exactly did we test. So for instance, I mean, give you an example. 
PFAS, right? Something that's called forever chemicals. In fact, there was an article this morning in the New York Times about uh, the fact that PFAS is uh, in no, uh, even, even in the most minute quantities, is not considered safe for, for consumption. And it's now found in food and water sources around the world. Uh, regulators are trying to figure Pardon out how to regulate it, right? Um, so mass spec has the ability to detect it in very, very, very small quantities. Think of a spec in an Olympic-sized pool, uh, a, a speck of sand in an Olympic-sized pool. That's how exquisitely accurate the instrument is. And your sales of those devices have been doing very well, and in, in particular in the last year. Um, what is it that's that's helping you sell both to academia and to companies um, right now? What, what what are the big drivers of the mass spec business? Yeah, so so our customers are in um, in the food segment, uh, in the environmental segment, and and our largest customer segment, over sixty percent of our business is in pharma. Right, so customers use our mass specs regularly to analyze the um, uh, the composition of biologic therapies, for instance. And by when I say biologic therapies, I mean Humira, think cell and gene therapy, uh, think think viral vector and mRNA therapies. Our customers use our mass specs and our LC instruments to analyze these and assure the assure uh, assure the safety of of these uh, of these molecules. LC liquid chromatography. Um, and yes. the, other, the other big business of yours. Um, and w so as there is more dr drug development, there is more sales for Waters Corporation? Is it, we take it that simply? Indeed, indeed. Now, now think biologics for a minute, right? So 40% of the pipeline of pharmaceutical companies are these biologic therapies, right? And these biologic therapies, meaning Humera, meaning Remicade, meaning all the cell and gene therapies and mRNAs, they, are, they have life-saving potential. Unfortunately, they are quite expensive and they take a long time to develop. And we want to make sure that we find out each and everything about them, right? Their chemical composition and their physical composition. And so we, our LC, our liquid chromatography and mass spec instruments allow us to analyze the chemistry of these molecules so that we can speed up their development uh, through, uh, uh, through different stages of clinical development uh, or reduce their cost in the case of cell and gene therapy. And very recently, we acquired a company called Wyatt, uh, that right, adds that. the second component, right? So wire technologies now helps us analyze the size and, and the aggregation level of these molecules. Waters already has the capability to look at the chemistry, and now we added the physical arm, meaning how big these things are, how aggregated they are. So the two things together give you a very nice fingerprint of, uh, of these different molecules. Now, what do these machines look like? What does a mass spectrometer spectrum look like? <laughs> they're, they're right behind me for your for your listeners. Um, they, they come in different varieties. So saying that for um, my listeners is useless, which is why I want you to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> so let me describe it. Right. So think of a think of a box, uh, probably four or five feet from the ground, uh, four or five feet wide, four or five feet uh, in uh, in breadth, um, and that box is standing. That's a ground. That's a floor standing mass spec. And those are sort of very accurate, very powerful instruments that allow you to look at new molecules, right? So if something new comes in the environment, something new comes in medicine, the first time you want to figure out what the heck it is, you go to these machines. These are the most powerful machines, and these are called high resolution mass specs. They're floor standing ones behind me. Second, uh, over time, we want to make these, we want to miniaturize these. So people like you and me can use them on a day-to-day -day basis. Ultimately, these instruments are used for quality control, right? So to be able to assess the quality of hundreds and thousands of tablets a day, uh, hundreds, and, uh, hundreds and thousands of samples of water. As they come off a production food, line, right. 
that's right exactly right so you you have different variants of these these mass specs floor standing large very powerful then a little bit less powerful but without losing the sophistication so you can go through a high volume of uh, high volume of products and then again and what is the unit the cost of such a machine it depends Ballpark. the high resolution they're all over the place so the high resolution mass spec can cost you over a million, maybe one and a half million dollars. Um, the floor standing ones can be anywhere between two hundred to three hundred thousand. Uh, sorry, the the the, the bench tops can be uh, floor uh, can be between two two to three hundred thousand. These are the mass specs, and then now the newer versions can even as you take out features, you can make them less and less expensive. But these are again used for high volume testing for very high value products, right? Like pharmaceuticals. Now, your company's been uh, growing kind of slow and steady, which, which, as we know, wins the race, um, and then taking the free cash flow and spending it uh, principally, I guess, to uh, on, on share buybacks. You're stepping away from the share buybacks a little bit to do this Wyatt acquisition, um, which is really interesting. As you mentioned, I want to talk about what it adds to your product line, but I also want to talk about kind of what it means for your company to, to expand um, uh, your market a little bit, not just your market share and reduce your share count. Yeah, so look, Corey, um, Waters is is a company that made liquid chromatography mainstream, right? And um, over time, as we grew, as you said, steadily growing between 4 and 6%, over the last two, two and a half years, we've accelerated our growth quite dramatically, first by focusing on the commercial execution and then launching a whole host of new products uh, in the mass spec space, in the liquid chromatography space. And the third arm to our growth was taking our capital, our incredible free cash flow, and finding ways of adding even more value to our customers by finding targets, M&A targets, and bringing them into our, into our portfolio. So it's added another arm to our growth trajectory, right? So we now, of course, commercially execute pretty well. We have a pretty rich pipeline of new products that have made a difference, and we talked about uh, PFAS a few minutes ago, uh, but then also, um, also adding with M&A, uh, interesting technologies that fit into our strategic uh, strategic agenda. So that's what we've just done with the acquisition, the announced acquisition of Wire Technologies. Is this the kind of thing you're going to look to do more of and, and grow this business into many more products <laughs> that it hasn't been traditionally? Like, I mean, in our business, we I'm sure bankers at, are knocking on your door every day. <laughs> look, um, in our business, we look at uh, acquisitions all the time, right? And we have a long list. Uh, but what I would... What I would say right now is, I mean, we've really done a great job of of, of uh, making making this transaction happen, and the focus is in making sure that this transaction closes, and then we bring the two companies together uh, and make sure everybody who needs a light scattering instrument uh, has it uh, for their for their use. So, uh, right now, the focus is on making sure the integration uh, integration planning happens well, and then the integration happens well once the deal closes. I thought some of your comments on the most recent conference call about what's going on with your business in China was really interesting. What is happening with your business in China? It's a, it's important to you guys. Give us a sense of that importance and also the most recent dynamics. Yeah, so China is roughly twenty percent of our business, and it's one of our fast. It has been one of our fastest growing markets. Um, but, but before getting into any of the financial picture, you know, um, more than half of our colleagues contracted COVID in the latter part of the year. Uh, and only after now in the third year, uh, in, only after two to three years, they've been able to go see their family for the Chinese New Year. And I'm so glad they ha- they are, right? Um, so number one worry I have is the, is the mental and physical health of my colleagues. I want to make sure that everyone's safe and healthy. In terms of the demand in China, across the pharmaceutical segment, across the food segment, environmental segment, I mean, it's terrific. 
right? I mean, our, our products are doing extremely well. Our products are, are, are needed by our customers. So I'm not worried about the long-term prospects. Now you asked about the quarter and the short-term, uh, the short-term performance for the fourth quarter, our business declined slightly in China, despite the fact that over 50% of the population was sort of suffering yeah. from COVID. And if you, last year we had sort of a, a shipment that moved from the third quarter to the fourth quarter. If you take that out, the business actually grew. So we're keeping, we're keeping, uh, we're uh, doing extremely well in China in general. And my main concern is to make sure my colleagues come back healthy uh, and the demand in the long term is nothing to worry about. It's, it's, it's an interesting market for you guys because as you know, as the macro trends are so much in, in favor of, of what you guys are doing, um, as does the, the movement to the Chinese government and the focus on uh, the newer focus on safety that maybe that wasn't there before. Indeed. Um, and also on the biopharmaceutical area, right? I mean, China, in fact, I mean, produces only after the U.S. the largest largest amount of biologics in the world, right? But the biologics contract manufacturing industry is burgeoning there. Uh, the need for pharmaceuticals is pretty high. I mean, given just the population uh, and the population that is aging, the need for pharmaceuticals is high. The need for clean Clean water, safe food is also pretty significant as regulations have increased in China. And all of increasing regulations are our friend, right? Uh, a company like Waters builds these instruments and these systems that are exquisite in detecting small amount of impurities, right? So when I talked about PFAS or forever chemicals as they're known, we can detect one part per quadrillion. Okay, you don't need to understand what that is. As I mentioned earlier, it's a speck in an, a speck of sand in an Olympic sized pool. So we develop these instruments to detect anything and any 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 small speck uh, that is an impurity in, and what in it is. Lab. Yes, and yeah. what it is. In fact, and detect and and analyzing what it is, and that's where mass spec is pretty powerful. Fascinating stuff. Uda Bhatra, uh, Doctor Uda Bhatra, is the CEO of Waters Corporation, joining us from Cambridge, Mass. Glad to have you. Well, coming up next on the drill down the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Waters. Right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And if you're enjoying the Drill Down podcast, hey, let somebody else know or leave a review on Apple iTunes. Tell them what you think of the show and who knows, you could find a friend who listens to the Drill Down. Wouldn't that be nice? And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we are back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. That number, Isaac, is $1.4 billion. And what is that number? Waters Corporation, of course, is known for the biotech and drug research equipment that we talked so much about. But they, you know, briefly a conversation about uh, the electric vehicle business, the battery business. Well, testing the electrode coatings and the chemical structure of those electric vehicle batteries, this company thinks that could be a $1.4 billion market. That's why they're focusing on that. Wow. They're looking at the growth of electric vehicles and could be a really important uh, leg of growth for this company that is already growing quite nicely. That's one of the reasons uh, for this big recent acquisition. And that's one of the reasons, uh, as you heard um, from Uda Batra, why they are so bullish about the future for waters. All right, we appreciate your time and listening to the Drill Down Podcast. We're glad to have you with us. We hope you'll come back for our next show, which is right around the bend. 
thanks to Isaac Webster, who is our executive producer and Mark Companion, our other companion on this journey, Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire. Thank you, Ben. We've been listening to the Drill Down Podcast, a production of the Business Podcast Network. <laughs>